Jiminy's is the maker of sustainable dog food and treats made with cricket protein that is better for the environment. Cricket protein is also a superfood that is delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. Save 25% on your first purchase. Go to Jiminy's.com slash AMR25 and use code AMR25 at checkout. We're pleased to once again partner with Curex, the number one insole in the run specialty retail market, meaning in running stores, it's the top selling brand of insoles. It's no wonder. Curex insoles are highly customized and provide dynamic arch support. For 15% off, visit curex.us and use code AMR15. What if there's a gentle, effective way to improve the appearance of blemish-prone skin? Gladskin is here to help. Right now, Gladskin is offering our listeners 15% off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm delighted to be joined by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. Hey, what's what's shaking, Ellison? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're referring to our 3.9 earthquake that we had. It was centered about, I think, about 18 miles to the west of us Saturday oh. morning. Yeah. So, yeah. so close. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Close. Yeah. Very close. And uh, this is one time when my ancient bladder uh, actually, you know, got me a front row seat because I literally got, I got up about a minute before it started, was finishing my business when I heard what I thought was a huge tractor trailer truck. And I thought it must be coming down. There's a a busy road, well, busy for Aiken, about, you know, just a block up from our house. And Mm -hmm it sounded, it was very loud. And Mm -hmm. then it got to be extremely loud. And at about that time when I was thinking, wait a minute, the house started to shake. (gasps) And um, it wasn't a violent shaking, but it was a shake. Um, It was, it was shaking and aching. It was shaking and aching. Yeah. There's there's one, there's some festival they used to have that was called shaking and bacon and aching. It wasn't to do with chicken, but anyway. Um, So the funny thing too, was Carol, whose room is sort of right up above our bathroom Uh sleeps like the dead all the time. Uh But that morning, several hours later, she said to me, did you feel the earthquake this morning? And I said, yeah, everybody else slept through it. But, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So nothing fell down or broke or no, anything. nothing like that. Nothing like that. I just, you know, and the thing I said to Carl was, wait a minute, this was one of the reasons we left Portland. <laughs> Who do I complain to? Right. Has it followed us? <laughs> well, for a while, uh, my younger daughter, Daphne, who just finished her junior year, she, for a while, her, I asked her what she was looking for in a college. And her number one thing was to not be where there are earthquakes. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh. well, she's so- going to have to look a little, you know, you start reading about them and you realize... Yeah, There's not can. that many states that don't have them. I know. I think about the one that was it in was in Missouri in yes. the mid 1800s, and I mean, mm-hmm. it shook. Didn't it shake church bells? Like church bells rang from it, it like as far away as Philadelphia or something. something. I mean, it was yeah. quite strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So she's she's given up on that consideration now. But All right, good, uh, good. yeah, but for a on. while, yeah. Well, because for a while, her number one choice was UC Berkeley. I'm like, well, that's the way to jump into the frying pan. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, speaking of strong, I heard you had some treatments. Yes. Yes. So I have um, had bulging discs. Yes, that is plural um, mm. since or well, I've have felt symptoms of them since mid-February. Um, I've decided that, you know, who knows? I could have had them for X amount of time longer than that, but they just decided to present themselves then. So, you know, I finally mustered up the courage to do an MRI, which ended up being no big deal. I want to assure everyone that if they need an MRI to go out and get one, because it is not like crawling into a casket. Uh, um, so, so, you know, and, and Papa Xanax and you're good. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyway, so they were able to finally determine the sites that it was happening at. And, um, after, um, a longer wait than I would have liked, I was finally able to get in to see a pain management doctor and for cortisone shots again, plural, um, no one told me that. I, I don't know why I thought it would be just on one side of the thing. And, oh my gosh, they have you fill out the most exhaustive, exhaustive paperwork beforehand. And then they call and they go over some more of the, of the paperwork. And like, they asked me twice, they they asked me for a total, I think of four times, do you have diabetes? Ask me that twice on the phone. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do I strike you as a person who has diabetes? Like, why do you keep asking me this? um, So anyway, so as I'm getting, they, you know, they put you in a wheelchair, I guess that's just their protocol to wheel me back into the operating room. And she said something about like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you're getting two shots. And I was like, "Um, okay. Um, Oh yeah. But before that, when I was filling out more of the paperwork, they said, um, you know, kind of what are you here for? What area are you getting worked on? And and all this. And I thought, isn't that your job to know that, you know, location? And I I said, L3, but I'll leave that up to the experts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I just wasn't sure what they were asking for. You know, it's kind of, you know, the the person who needs their right leg amputated and they come out with their left leg amputated. They put the big red mark on it. (laughs) Right. Right. So so anyway, so got the the shots, which um, were... um, more unpleasant than I would have anticipated, but you know, I'm a big girl. I got through it. And, um, so anyway, so they made it very clear that you don't know the results, the true effect of it until three to six days afterward, uh, that there might be a steroid flare the following day. So I could have been in even greater pain the day after all this stuff. Well, I felt, I got Monday morning. I felt so good yesterday, which was Tuesday. Right. Went out on a 75 minute walk. They'd said not to overdo it. So I definitely did not add in any little couple, you know, block or two of running, even though I felt completely like my old self, just, you know, no, no hitch in my giddy up whatsoever when I was walking. Yeah. Because even so, even when I could walk, you know, fair, I would say 90% unimpinged people would still say to me like, Oh, you're limping a little bit. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I think this is just kind of the way I walk these days. Um, so anyway, oh, and, you know, I swam 2,500 yards today and um, just good feeling grief. really, wow. really, really good. So um, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't even three days after the fact. And I'd say we can um, deem this a success. So, and so what's, did they ever give them to you? I mean, can you get them like twice a year or has that been even discussed? Like so I, I could. I could, they definitely could. Um, the thing is, is that, um, 
you know, it's mainly just getting the inflammation down. And once the inflammation's down, then the problem's gone. And so, so the cortisone, you know, that's what it's doing. And theoretically, once it's down, it won't, it won't come back. It's not like it's a chronic condition. Oh, Um, okay. yeah, Yeah. And then also I really feel, you know, I am no doctor, but I feel I was, if this was a marathon, I was probably at about mile 25 and a half anyway, that I had Mm. been, hadn't been having all that many symptoms, no kind of random nervy pain shooting down my legs, but I had had, so I'd been over the course of this, I'd recover, 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 and then boom, just crash off this, you know, cliff and be in really bad shapes and then have to crawl out of that hole again, recover, 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 boom. And I just was like, no, this is too much of a roller coaster. I can't keep doing this. I just no. need to know that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and, and feel okay. And, and not even, you know, yes, I want to get back to running, but I just want to get back to not limping and yeah. not feeling like, oh, do I really need to go down to the basement? Cause that's going to kind of be an ordeal for me to go down there. Like, mm. is there, is there one of the kids that I can send down to get something? Oh, I can't carry that laundry basket upstairs. You know, I just, I just want to get back to living a regular way of living. So, um, anyway, well, I so- hope that continues. Cause that sounds, I mean, it's one of those things that becomes a, a painful nuisance and I hate those. They're so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And just the unknown, you know, and the, um, I don't know, it just, it, it was beating me down and, and, you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist and, and tend to be fairly upbeat and it was wearing me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just was like, okay, I need to nip this in the bud. And, and I'd also jump through all the insurance hoops. So mm-hmm. I'm like, they've approved this. I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah, it was more money out of pocket than I would have liked, but I just, I need some peace of mind. And, and I mm-hmm. think, I, I think I've gotten that. So yeah. Yes. Good. Yes. Yes. So, so I'm happy about that. Um, and I'm happy that today, that I have you here for our annual tradition of our summer reading podcast. Yay! Uh, Yes, we love doing this together. And if I've tallied this right, Ellison, this is our 10th annual. I was, I, when I saw that, I was thinking, yeah, it is 10 years. I think we did it. Remember we were in a big, well, for me, big studio back then. How times have changed. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Oh my gosh. I forgot that we used to go to the studio together. Yeah. Yeah. All that, all that changed with my, when I fractured my ankle in 2015, it was like, no, we're just going to, you know, hobble down to the basement and I'll do it from there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, um, so we wanted to do this earlier in the season than usual so that, you know, people could really build their bedside stack for now for the hot months to come stacks plural stacks plural (laughs) an entire room full of them (laughs) (laughs) some people have their you know well i guess it's called a library i was gonna say you know some people Uh have a sewing room you'd have a book room but i there is a term for that sarah from from clue it's called the library (laughs) now you're making me salivate (laughs) oh my gosh did i ever tell you at my parents house we had the old library and the new library oh now you're really making me green (laughs) because we had we had my parents put on an addition in 1969 to their you know 1830s house and and the it was three stories one room on each story and the uh, room on the main floor of the house was um 
it was lined in bookcases. And so that was oh. called, that was called the new library versus oh. the, the, I mean, one, the, the other room just had built in bookcases too. And so that was the old library. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Now it sounds like I grew up in a mansion, which is not the case. <laughs> well, I'm going to be uh, daydreaming about that after we finish this. <laughs> and then when they sold their, when we sold my parents' house, um, the gentleman who bought it with his wife, he was a book collector. And so he was <gasps> very pleased to just, he got the books with the house. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Now I'm, my mind is blown. <laughs> I've never considered move a move to Connecticut. <laughs> you, thank God you didn't tell me that when you put the house on the market. Well, it was definitely, my dad was fascinated with World War II. So it was a lot of books about mm-hmm. World War II. So yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, very dusty, musty books too. Um, Ooh, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can smell it now, can't you? Oh, yeah, that smell of old books. <laughs> and speaking of nonfiction, I think that's what you wanted us to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we will, um, and they're all new books that we're talking about. So no, nus- no yes, musty, no musty. Sorry, not yes. yet. Anyway, yes. Yeah. So, so we will jump into book talk after this break. You definitely must stay with us. This summer, step up to better running with Curex. Curex insoles are the number one insole in the run specialty retail market, meaning in running stores, they're the most popular brand of insoles. It's no wonder, Curex Run Pro insoles are highly customized and provide dynamic arch support. I know there are a lot of add to your shoes options, yet insoles shouldn't be just cushioning and shouldn't only be stiff like a custom orthotic. Curex delivers the best of both these options. Curex Run Pro insoles have flexible support with an ideal level of rigidity. They have a thin, low profile while still providing maximum support and comfort. Curex Run Pro insoles are available in three profiles, high, medium, and low. I have high arches, so my feet, knees, hips, and that back of mine are grateful I added Curex Run Pro insoles to my shoes and Curex Ace Pro insoles to my court shoes for playing pickleball. Once you become a believer in Curex Run Pro insoles like me, you'll want to check out the brand's other options. Curex offers the largest line of sport activities specific insoles, from Cleat Pro for soccer or baseball, Hike Pro for hiking, Support Step for walkers, even Work Pro for on their feet professions, plus golf, hockey, and skiing too. Try Curex risk free today. The company offers a 60 day warranty, even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. Visit curex.us and use code AMR15 for 15% off a pair of Curex insoles. That's C-U-R-R-E-X dot com U-S with code AMR15 for 15% off. Curex dot U-S code AMR15. Overall, I'm an optimist, except when it comes to skincare products. Too often they turn me into a pessimistic skeptic, but not glad skin, a solution that supports healthy, balanced skin for real. GladSkin is a new category of skin blemish treatment that works differently than any plant-based or drug-based product because GladSkin is based on the nature of healthy skin. Inflammatory blemishes and acne-prone skin are caused by an imbalance in the skin microbiome. So GladSkin developed a revolutionary protein called MicroBalance to restore the natural balance of the good and bad bacteria that live on the skin. GladSkin's products have been helping people in Europe for years and are now available in the U.S. Plus, there's a 60-day guarantee. I'm delighted with the results I've gotten using Gladskin Eczema Cream with Microbalance. This lush, clinically proven cream is steroid-free. 
Gladskin's tagline for it is outsmart eczema quickly. And it's so true. In just a few days, the redness on my cheeks and nose vanished. And I swear it diminished the appearance of the pores in that same region, which I honestly didn't formerly believe possible. It's why Gladskin has turned me into a believer. Right now, Gladskin is offering our listeners 15% off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com AMR. That's Gladskin, G-L-A-D-S-K-I-N dot com slash AMR for 15% off plus free shipping. Gladskin.com slash AMR. As runners, we all need to be taking steps to care for the environment. If you have a dog like I do, consider reducing your dog's carbon paw print with Jiminy's sustainable dog food and treats made from cricket protein. Our dog Augie loves the taste, and I love that Jiminy's is doing more to help our planet. Jiminy's is sustainably made because cricket protein uses less water and land to produce and drastically eliminates greenhouse gas emissions versus traditional animal protein dog food. One bag of Jiminy's cricket protein treats saves 220 gallons of water versus traditional animal protein treats. Dogs, including my Augie and our neighbor's dog, Emmy, who I introduced to Jiminy's, love the taste. Jiminy's includes delicious, nutritious plant-based ingredients like sweet potatoes, blueberries, peanut butter, and pumpkin. Jiminy's is also good for dogs with food sensitivity or dogs with allergies. Insect protein is considered hypoallergenic for dogs versus other allergy triggering proteins like beef, chicken, fish, and soy. In fact, veterinarians are using Jiminy's dog food in elimination diets to determine food allergies. With that in mind, last weekend when I was at a local dog park and I met a woman with a small dog that was allergic to all types of animal proteins, I immediately recommended Jiminy's for the sweet pup. Please check out Jiminy's dog food and treats made with cricket protein, a sustainable superfood that is delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. To learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash AMR25 and use code AMR25 at checkout. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash AMR25 with code AMR25. All right, E, as you said, let's start with nonfiction for a change. Um, And Wase is a bit of a caveat that these aren't all feel good books. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Probably the most feel good is this first one. And Mm -hmm. that's a saying something which is it's called Ancestor Trouble, a reckoning and a reconciliation. And the author is Maude Newton. Mm -hmm. And uh, Newton's ancestors when she was a little girl, they always kind of vexed her and fascinated. I must say mm-hmm. that she was uh, a very, very uh, intelligent uh, little girl. Um, and growing up, she kept hearing these stories, particularly about her mother's side of the family. Uh, her, her mother's father, who came of age uh, at, during the Great Depression in Texas, mm-hmm. was said to have married 13 times. <laughs> And at one point had been shot by one of his wives. And then her mother's grandfather, uh, the story was he had killed a man with a hay hook Mm -hmm. and then died in an institution. Mm -hmm. So, but supposedly her mother's lines went all the way back to Puritan uh, New England. Well, on the other hand, her father, who was, both her parents were very charismatic, very different. Her father was extremely intelligent. Uh, but he, and very, very educated, but he was uh, a vow supporter of, of slavery 
and uh, was very, very impressed and insistent on the purity of his family bloodline, which you could trace back to the Revolutionary War. Wow. So her parents eventually um, divorced. But this book mainly covers how Newton really wanted to go back and not only examine the family itself, but on both sides, but examine these stories. And so it's fascinating. And it reminds you of, you know, sitting around a a table at Thanksgiving with, you know, numerous aunts, uncles, grandparents, and how Mm -hmm. when you get there and people, I remember when, well, you have maybe three people telling the story. And of course, they're all going to be different stories. Mm -hmm. So she was able to figure out a lot about what was true and what wasn't. But she also began to sort of study things like the the role that anxiety played in her family Hmm. and uh, some of these other sort of questions that weren't just, you you couldn't just look at your family tree and figure those out or go to a computer and Google them. Mm -hmm. So I really found it interesting because it's her family is fascinating, also a little horrifying at times. (laughs) Um, The only times that I felt like she sort of got off track is when she talked more about herself, which is sort of, you know, this is a memoir of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was more fascinated with the people that came before her than herself. But fortunately for the reader, I think she doesn't focus as much on herself. Mm-hmm. And I think what she ends up with is some answers, uh, some surprises, and then some things that she realizes she's never going to know or understand. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So I think if you're, if you're big into, you know, a lot of people are big into ancestry.com and, mm-hmm. uh, or if you have a, a parent who is, I think this book, it, it's, it's fascinating and it may lead some people to do a little deeper digging. Oh yeah. My mother was totally into genealogy and, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, my, my next book, uh, Sandy Hook, an American tragedy in the battle for truth by Elizabeth Williamson, who is a very talented reporter, researcher, and writer with the New York times. And, um, I felt like you, Elson, when I thought of this, if, if you liked fall and rise, the story of nine yes. 11 by Mitchell Zukoff, uh, right. globe reporter, which was, we talked about on the 2019 summer reading episode. So if you liked that book, um, uh, then you might very well like Sandy hook. Um, and I will harken back. I told this, um, anecdote when I talked about fall and rise, um, remember i'm not remembering what book it was that you had talked about but it was you you'd mentioned in that um i think in 2018 that you had read this book about a child dying and i was like oh mm-hmm. you know oh i don't like reading depressing books you know blah 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 and a, um a listener wrote an email and said that she, yeah she had had a child that died and by people saying things like that it it kind of diminishes and dismisses their experience and their anguish and so really you know, made an impact on me that email. And so, um, you know, the tragedy of nine 11, it happened, whether I'm going to read about it or not, but, but looking at it and, and, um, witnessing it in a way kind of, um, helps share the pain a little bit, I think in the very smallest of ways. And so this Sandy hook book, I thought it'd be more about Sandy hook, you know, that massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, but it actually, it, it was not, it was more the after effect of it and the families and 
oh my gosh, how those poor grieving families were just hounded by hoaxers and conspiracists Hmm. and it oh my gosh and and the role alex jones played in it oh oh my goodness and and it is it is not a flattering portrait of alex jones this book and um oh my gosh just i mean it excoriates him it is um and very well and with wonderful writing and um Mm -hmm. It was just eye-opening to me and just heartbreaking that these people could not be left alone. And, you know, sadly, it is, it seemed like a timely book to be reading because of the massacre yeah. in Uvalde and, and countless others. Um, so I, I really, you know, I, I cried some in it, but not, I, I more, it got me really irate at times. Yeah. So um, I just felt it was an important book to kind of understand you know, larger what's going on in this country and, and things like that. So, yeah, well, I put it on my list. I'm kind of, kind of girding my loins, but yeah, uh, yeah. it looks, it looks um, very well done. Yeah. And I will have to say, it was very funny. I um, mentioned to Tish Hamilton that I was reading it. And she said, she thought it sounded fascinating. And I was like, Oh, I'll loan it to you after I'm, d- after I'm done. And she was like, Oh, you know, I'm moving and I'll be busy getting set up for my new job. Da, da, da. And it wasn't until like six hours later that I took a second look at the book. I'm like, it's a library book. I can't, I can't loan this to her. I can't mail this to her. <laughs> Make sure I could laugh about that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've done the opposite here. And this is, you know, living in a small town. I dropped off some books that I had read and uh, came home. And all of a sudden I get this phone call saying, uh, yeah, Miss Weiss, do you, you uh, dropped off one of your books? I think it must be just it doesn't have any envelope. <laughs> oh I can't believe they were able to figure out it was yours. Like that because, that does speak to how small the town because is. Because it was it was with a group of the ones that I dropped off. And I think they just thought, okay, we'll try this one first. Cause yeah, you know, when yeah. they check it back in. Yeah. But, yeah. And again, a small town library, but <laughs> gosh, I was so ashamed. <laughs> it was like dropping off, forgetting to pick up a child. <laughs> right, exactly. You left the baby on the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. Well, this next book that I'm going to talk about is called uh, Invisible Kingdom, uh, Reimagining Chronic Illness, and the author is Megan O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one was, it, it could be some, sort of frustrating at times because O'Rourke uses her own uh, bewildering cluster of debilitating symptoms, which she mm. has had since she was a, a young woman, uh, to investigate all of these poorly understood chronic illnesses that I didn't realize, but they say they affect millions of Americans. Huh. Um, and she's mainly including like autoimmune diseases, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which Mm. I've just started hearing more about. And then of course, you know, now we've got long-term COVID, which she does is able, it did come in time for her to, to do some research on that. So she, along with her own stories and, you know, she, she just had this bewildering, I mean, her symptoms, her illnesses, she would go through these periods of just literally not being able to function. And then all of a sudden she would, you know, be able to function, but there was no rhyme or reason to it. So she talks about her own um, 
issues and, you know, her own investigation, you know, trying to find out what is wrong, uh, along with other people that she interviews, she interviews other patients, she interviews doctors, she interviews Mm -hmm. psychologists, uh, everything. And um, what she realizes is is that, as most of us know, Western medicine wants an easy fix. You know, most doctors, when (laughs) you go two shots in the back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, and here's what we're going to do. This is going to cure you. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you press it, especially if you're a woman or a person of color, and especially if you're a a woman of color, there's a lot of this, well, um, have you been depressed lately? Mm. Uh, You know, there's the, the kind of automatic lean away from, well, it's not anything that I, the doctor have missed. It Mm. must be something that you're struggling with. And, and mm. there's an entire chapter on that, which is pretty frustrating. And I think some of mm-hmm. us had experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, it's frightening in a way because mm-hmm. you've, you've got these people that are struggling mightily to, mm-hmm. you know, conduct their lives, you know, like the rest of us do. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, keep coming up against brick walls, brick walls, un, you know, unanswered questions. And so it does end on a hopeful note because she feels that a, it's, you know, the one good thing about COVID was that it sort of began to push the door open for doctors and, you know, laymen to see that, look, you know, sometimes we have something in our bodies And it's not going to leave. And, Mm. you know, it can't be just cured with a round of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So very timely and applicable to a lot of people. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. And she's a very good writer as well. Oh, good. Good, good. All right. Well, um, we will end our talk of, of nonfiction on a, a, a lighter note. Um, that I am so excited to listen to David Sedaris's latest collection of essays, Happy Go Lucky, which um, is, I, he obviously brings his traditional humor and, and wit and, um, you know, um, his close look at things, uh, but it's mainly focusing on his now deceased father. So I don't know. About, I don't know about you, Ian, your feelings about David Sedaris, but I'd kind of given up on him for a yes, while. I, I felt yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, same, same old, same old. And I felt they weren't all that funny or witty. But then I felt madly, madly back in love with him, thanks to his June 2019 essays entitled Calypso. Um, uh-huh. it's kind of like how I felt about, I used to love Steve Martin, the, you know, actor, comedian, yes. musician. And then I just had written him off completely. Thought he kind of turned into a jerk, but then watching only murders in the building on oh, Hulu. I love that. I'm like, Oh, I love Steve Martin all over again. <laughs> and season two is coming. I know season two is coming very soon. I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, and my gosh, David Sedaris reading his own essays is just yummy like a delicious dessert it is Ooh. uh you know that that unusual unique voice of his and um oh, his delivery is just fabulous so and i heard him on fresh air um talking about happy go lucky so i'm on the wait list at multnomah county library t- for the audiobook of it oh great yes 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 all right so well let's uh jump into fiction 
And you've been reading so much. You broke down novels into categories, starting with um, beloved fiction, which um, you doing that, breaking it down into categories makes you all the more beloved to me. Thank you. you. So, (laughs) so, um, so please start with the book that you most recently added to the list. Oh, I'm still sort of in thrall and sort of, you know, all a quiver over it. It's the new one from Geraldine Brooks, who people may remember uh, won the Pulitzer for her book, March. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I both loved her debut novel, which is called People of the Book. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, uh, did I say the title that it's horse? There you, yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> and it is amazing. I mean, I'm already thinking that this is probably going to garner at least one award in the upcoming Mm. literary season. Um, But it's essentially, it's one of those ones that is split into the present and into the past, but Mm -hmm. it mainly focuses on Kentucky in the middle of the 19th century, Mm. uh, where an enslaved groom and a bay foal forge a bond of understanding uh, that will carry the horse to recording record setting uh, victories across the South. So it's on one hand, you've got this wonderful relationship between this young black man, Jarrett and the horse who eventually becomes uh, known as Lexington. Mm -hmm. And I just got back from visiting my father in Kentucky, 35 (laughs) miles outside of Lexington. Uh And uh, you mentioned the name, you know, I say, I'm really, you know, I'm reading this book uh, or about to read this book and people, "Uh uh-huh. And then you say, it's about Lexington. Everybody's eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. yeah. Um, So then the opposite end is, we're in Washington, D.C., 2019, and there is a, a young Australian scientist who works for the Smithsonian, hmm. and she has actually uh, become aware of, in the dusty attic in the Smithsonian, these bones of, of a horse, oh. and she begins, she's fascinated with bones, has been her whole childhood. That's what her her work life is, is of putting together um, bones and, and studying them. And she's just becomes totally obsessed with this skeleton and putting it back to way, the way it was supposed to be put back together. And meanwhile, she meets a young uh, Nigerian American art historian huh. who has been given, so it was found on the street, this picture Hmm. of this horse, very dusty old picture who turns out, yes, to be Lexington. I'm not giving mm-hmm. anything away there. Mm-hmm. So it, she goes back and forth between the, the, the two stories. And the one thing I love about Brooks, and she does this with so many of her books, is that it's not a case of where you're saying, oh, gosh, I wish we could get back to the past or, <laughs> you know, you're, you, you really like the past. You know, you like one section of the story better than the uh-huh. other. You don't have that with her. Mm. And the other thing is there's some what could be pretty, you know, uh, unsettling, disturbing portions of this story. And while Brooks does not shy away from those, uh-huh. she's not a sensationalist. Mm. So she presents these to you as though she's sort of presenting you with this gift that has strings attached, but in the end, it's still a gift, if that makes mm, sense. That's lovely. Um, yeah. So it's just the whole book 
it just brims with intelligence, the story, the language, uh, the pictures that you get in your mind and the characters. So I cannot highly recommend this one. I mean, you know, stop what you're doing right now and mm. you know, run down to your local bookstore and get this book. Mm, nice. And it just was published on June 14th. So it yes, is yes, hot yes, off the presses. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Mm. Um, um, it's it's fabulous. Oh, awesome. That is so wonderful. And, and I do so love Geraldine Brooks. I just just love her books. And she does such a wonderful job, as you say, of weaving together, um, you know, uh, something in the past and a current day and finding the intersection between the two and reminding us that we all are tied in some way to the past. Oh, yeah, good, good point. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. So e, we do need to take have almost a moment of silence for the fact that there's no Anthony Horowitz mystery crime book in this in this podcast. You sad face emoji insert here. Yes, yes. <laughs> because he is a prolific British writer and usually he does not disappoint with coming out with one just in time for us. I mean, he does have a brand new book coming out this week, but it's a James Bond novel, which right. is, isn't entirely my jam. He has the um, blessings of the Ian Fleming family or foundation or whatever. So he is he's an authorized person to do that. So I, I will admit I've put it on hold for an audio book. I figure it'll be entertaining listening while I'm driving or running or something like that. But mm-hmm. he, do, he does have one um, more in line with his usual books coming out in time for our winter reading episode, which will air in November or December. So we'll have that. Good, on list good for him. I'm glad he's cooperating. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I think we need to drop him a postcard or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, but for books that we've actually read, what's up on your list next? It's a debut novel uh, by a young writer named Lee Cole, and uh, he is uh, also uh, grew up in rural Kentucky. So um, I'm <laughs> sensing a an un <laughs> a theme here that I didn't uh, didn't even yes, think yes. Was, was part of. But anyway, um, this book is called Groundskeeping, and it I I, I kind of bumbled my feet a little bit uh or, you know i just wasn't quite sure that i wanted to read this book but then several people uh talked it up to me plus ann patchett mm-hmm. uh who, who you and i both love um mm-hmm. put in a, a big endorsement on it but it's about a young man whose early life is when he was a teenager and into his early 20s early uh was sort of a miss uh, not a misfit he just didn't do anything he was involved with some unsavory characters nothing really serious but had you know into drugs mm-hmm. and um now he's he's trying to sort of turn himself around and uh, he's an aspiring writer who returns back to his home in kentucky and he's going to live with his grandfather and then his uncle his mother's brother who is sort of a troubled soul mm. um was in a bad accident as a teenager and has never really been able to do anything with his life but uh he decides this young man owen decides to take a job as a groundskeeper mm. and he's at a local college a small college and in exchange uh he can enroll in a writing class oh. So while he's there, he meets this woman named Alma, who's the writer in residence for that year. And she really seems completely different from what Owen is used to. 
she's got this prestigious position. She was educated in the Ivy League. Uh, she's already had success as a writer of a short story collection. And um, so they start off sort of with a secret relationship mm. and become involved with each other. But at the same time, um, she's struggling with her writing. Owen is actually sort of gathering strength with his. Oh. And yet his, his grandfather is ailing. He's trying to juggle this full-time job, uh, taking this class, um, dealing with his grandfather and his uncle and Alma. And as the story goes on, you begin to see uh, their differences, but also the things that they have in common. And you sort of see that uh, the author is setting it up for sort of a, okay, what what is going to happen? Will mm -hmm. Owen be able to juggle everything? Will Owen and Alma stay together? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how do you support somebody in their ventures, in this case, writing, mm -hmm. uh, at perhaps at a time when you're struggling with your own? Mm -hmm. So it's a quiet novel in many mm -hmm. respects, mm -hmm. but um, the characters are just wonderfully uh, written and there's just this sense that you can really tell that Lee Cole is going to be a writer to watch. Mm, that's lovely. And Lee Cole, a, a man or a woman? A man. He's, mm -hmm. he's a young man. Mm -hmm. um, and I think probably this book, uh, not because of the subject matter at all, but I can see why Patchett liked it because it's a little somewhat uh, similar to her early work as well. Oh, Interesting. Well, that's high praise indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, our next one comes from an author you and I are both very familiar with. So yes. tell us about that one. Yeah. Well, this is the latest one by Emily uh, Senjin uh, Mandel and uh, it's Sea of Tranquility. Mm -hmm. And I know that you and I disagreed on, we both love Station Eleven, got to put out another holler for that. Oh, adored, adored that novel. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And um, a book that will stick with you for a long time. Yes. But you and I split on Glass Hotel, the Glass Hotel, which was her one following that and the mm -hmm. one before this new one. Um, this new one is Sea of Tranquility. And I hope I don't scare you off, Sarah, by saying that there are elements from the Glass Hotel in this. Mm. Very, very small elements, but they're there. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was fantastic. I read it and I think about two days just kept reading. Wow. Yeah. But um, it starts off, it's, it's another thing that's got different time zones. When yes, yes. First, mm -hmm. first get there, there's a, a young man who's um, 18 and he's essentially been booted out of his um, very, very upper class uh, English family uh, in the early part of the 20th century because he dared to make some rather uh, un, uh, ill-conceived remarks, I believe is what his <laughs> brothers calls them, at a dinner party. Uh -huh. So he's, he's banished to Canada. Mm. And uh, at one point, he is out in the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. and he enters a forest, and suddenly he hears uh, the notes of a violin echoing, mm. but it's also in what he, he sees that he doesn't understand, but it's essentially an airship terminal. Mm. And so two centuries later, meaning mm -hmm. that we're 
you know, in the 22nd uh, century, mm-hmm. there's a famous writer named Olive who's on a book tour and she is traveling all over earth, but her actual home is uh, a moon colony. Mm-hmm. So she's separated from her family and she's, you know, doing this, this tour with this very, very, very um, popular book. Uh, at the same time, her family's back on the moon colony. She has a, a husband and a daughter, and they're trying to convince her to come home because of, there's a pandemic, an illness mm. uh, that is beginning to sweep the earth. Mm. Uh, and then you get, and I know this sounds like it's totally confusing, but it's not <laughs> the way she handles it. There is um, a hotel detective in what's called the night city, which is sort of an offshoot of earth. Mm. And he's hired to investigate what's going on in this North American wilderness. Mm. Uh, because again, there are all these reports of people being almost transported by this violin music that seems to be coming from an airship terminal. Mm. So I, I, I know that I have not done a good job of sort of describing <laughs> how fascinating, I know it sounds totally convoluted, <laughs> to, totally off the wall. You have to trust me. You have to grab my hand and jump into this one because it is, yeah, once again, she creates this atmosphere, this time, these places, these people that if if I, you know, came up and continued talking to you like this, you'd think, oh, my gosh, you know, what is she what is she gibbering on about? Um, and this uh, I just loved it. And um, I think that it probably is going to be made into another series. That's just, I didn't hear that. I didn't see that, but I would be surprised if given how um, station 11 was such a, a popular HBO series, I'd be very surprised if this one isn't picked up as well. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, two things based on that. Um, Well, one, I'm laughing that you said you made it sound confusing. I I love that you admitted to that, but that, but that um, the thing I want to say is it's not a very long novel. I mean, maybe 300 pages. Oh, I've got it right here. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Okay. Come on. I'm going to say 314. 255 pages. Yeah. So a pretty slim novel to, Yeah. 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 So that's all of that into. (laughs) Yes. And flush it out and make it, make it, you know, be so tantalizing to you. That's intriguing to me. And I do have it on my nightstand and I have just not gotten to it yet, but now I'm thinking I might pack it for my trip to Missoula um, that I leave for tomorrow. And you mentioned the HBO series station 11, despite my love of the novel, I have not watched that yet. But as you were talking, I suddenly was like, huh, maybe I'll watch that while I'm on my trip in Missoula. So (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that got good reviews because I didn't, I didn't hear a ton about it when it was on. Oh yeah. There were a ton of, uh, you know, people just loved it. And, you know, Mm. they, they, I think for a while they may even have been doing that thing that the New York times does where they say, you know, it's episode five of station 11, this, what this happened. Um, but I just, no, it was, it was very, very well received. And I think the thought was, don't worry if you've read the book and you think they're going to ruin it. They did take poetic license and spots, but it's still mm-hmm. good. Okay. All right. I wonder, I might have to look up to see if they did, did a companion podcast because 
HBO does that sometimes. And I love it. Love it when they did that. They did that for Chernobyl with um, Peter Sagal being the host of that. And then they did it for the staircase, the Colin Firth um, staircase. And that was quite good. And the great thing about these HBO podcasts when they do it is there's no ads on it. Um, oh, so I'm just like, okay. yeah, okay, uh-huh. here we go. 35 minutes of listening. Just give it to me. <laughs> so, um, so I love kind of, I love having that kind of, um, surround sound of an experience of watching right. something, having read it, you know, listening to a podcast. I, I, I think I want to go back to college. I think that's what total I boils immersion. down to. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's total good. immersion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, um, all right. And then, um, another novel for you to talk about, um, lessons in chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Yes. Great, great book. Another debut. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this one and it Mm. it would also be a great, um, uh, beach read, I think in Mm -hmm. many ways, although it's a smart book, Mm -hmm. um, essentially it takes place around, uh, 1960 and it deals with this woman i have to say right off the bat that this writing she is very funny dark dark wit but Mm -hmm. also just some hilarious scenes some some hilarious dialogue okay and uh the the woman it centers around is a chemist and her name's elizabeth zott and Mm -hmm. uh she is brilliant Mm -hmm. but she has a misfortune of coming of age in uh, the late 1950s, early 1960s. So she is hired for supposedly for her work, but essentially all the male chemists just want her to do is, you know, get coffee or they want to leer at her and yeah, (laughs) Yeah. which was right. And, um, but she does meet this one guy who is, utterly captivated. They're both utterly captivated with each other, although it doesn't start out this way. A guy named Calvin Evans, Mm -hmm. who's the lonely, brilliant Nobel Prize nominated grudge holder Mm -hmm. and who falls in love with her mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have to sort of fast forward to a time where Elizabeth gets essentially fired from the Hastings Institute, Mm. but somehow she manages not really through any work of her own, but she manages to get hired on a cooking show. Oh, yes. And the cooking show is called Supper at Six. Now she wouldn't do this, but she has a child to support and she's very reluctant to do it. And it does not want to wear, you know, the frou-frou, you know, short, you know, dress, mm-hmm. anything like that. She wants to wear her chemist coat. Mm-hmm. And uh, to everyone's surprise, she turns this cooking show, Supper at Six, into this runaway show. It's mm-hmm. a huge success. And it's mainly because she essentially treats the women that she's speaking to through this show mm-hmm. as uh very intelligent women. She mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, she doesn't use, and when she talks about ingredients, it's, you know, combine one tablespoon of acetic acid with a pinch of sodium chloride. You know? <laughs> so, and um, at the end of it, she always ends up with children set the table. Your mother needs a moment to herself. <laughs> nice. And so as her life is going on and, um, she's actually in many ways changing the lives of a lot of her viewers. 
Um, but she's also trying to figure out how she can get back into chemistry. There's this one hilarious scene where her neighbor comes over and they're just getting to know each other. And uh, Elizabeth has completely redone her kitchen so that it looks like a lab. And, you know, <laughs> but she says to this neighbor, would you like some coffee? And the neighbor's looking around like, well, uh, do I need to go across? No, no, I'm going to make it. And of course she uses, you know, these beakers, and everything. And the woman is thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be, you know, the worst cup of coffee. And then she takes a sip and she's like, I'm never having coffee anywhere else. <laughs> of course, she uses you know science to make the best. Coffee. <laughs> but um, thoroughly enjoyable, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a weak ending, but that should not stop you from reading it. Okay, good, good. Well, that sounds very funny and charming indeed. Um, so this book is one that I'm eagerly awaiting the delivery of because I bought it. Yes, bought it. That's how excited I am about it. It is uh, <laughs> Jackie and Me by Louis Bayard. And so it's by the yes. same same author as Courting Mr. Lincoln, which was also in our 2019 summer reading. Um, and I'm just a sucker for novels that spin tales, uh, imagined tales about real life people, like with both these Baird novels. And so Jackie and me is about um, Jacqueline Bouvier before she becomes Jacqueline Kennedy. Um, and so when she starts dating Jack Kennedy and then the me in it is um, I'm forgetting the man. It's lamb. Less lamb. Les, lamb yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so he is um, quite good friends with Jack Kennedy. Um, Lem is gay and he as I understand it kind of um, is kind of managing Jackie a little bit in terms of, I think it sounds as if Jack Kennedy has his eye on Jackie and sort of wants Lem to um, help steer her in the direction of, of sticking around with Jack. And then I think it's con the conflicted feelings that Lem feels because Lem knows that Jack is most likely going to step out on Jackie if they end up to together as, as history shows that he did. Um, so it, but it just sounds like a fascinating portrait of Lem and Jackie's friendship and, um, yeah. And both, both Jackie obviously, and, uh, this Lem Billings were, were real people. So, yes. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah no, that one I'm, I'm with you on that one. And, uh, Elizabeth Egan of the New York times also recommended that if people wanted to read that, they might also want to read, uh, the new book from Emily Giffen, she mm -hmm. of the shopaholic fame, and it's called Meant to Be. Mm -hmm. And it is apparently loosely, uh, or maybe not so loosely, based on um, John F. Kennedy Jr. Mm -hmm. and uh, Carolyn Bissett's relationship and marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, as if they, as if they hadn't, I mean, they're fictional, fictionalized, right. but as if they had not died in that tragic right. plane, plane crash and kind of how their relationship, this similar, very, very similar couple would have lived out their um, uh, life or part of their life. So yeah. yeah, I, I definitely have, I have that one on hold at the library. And so I've, I'm, I'm bought into it. And, and they also said that you don't need to be for this Jackie and me, you don't need to be yes. a big Kennedy fan or, you know, a Kennedy scholar or anything to enjoy this. And, and it reminded me of totally forgetting the, uh, the, the book's name is the editor and you're going to help me yes. from the, um, yeah. it's by the guy who wrote the Gunkle as well. Yeah. Okay. What is Hang the name on. of that author? Oh, yeah. I've heard of, I remember that because, uh, 
We included the editor in one of we our, did. one of our, because I've really enjoyed that one. That Stephen one, Stephen Rowley, is that Stephen Rowley? That's what okay. it is. And yeah. um, I've really enjoyed that one. And that was about a young author who um, I believe is writing his first book and his editor then is Jackie by that point, Jackie Onassis who ended up truly being a, a book editor for. Yes. And apparently a very good one. Yes. Um, yes. And, oh, I found that book quite moving. Um, yeah. You know, kind of imagining what their relationship would have been like. And um, so, yeah, yeah. So, so color me a fan of Jackie. Yeah. Um, and I always remember what JFK Jr. said uh, when he spoke to the press after his mother died was mm-hmm. something along the lines of my mother died surrounded by her family, her friends and her books. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just very poignant yes. for, for somebody like me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So as I mentioned, you put the books into categories. So this next category you put is worth a read. Um, yeah. I, I have to say you're going to start with a book that I couldn't get more than 40 pages into it. It's called The Change by Kristen Miller. Yeah. Kirsten Miller. Kirsten, sorry. Yeah. Kirsten, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I have to say that um, toward the end, I, I, I struggled again with this book. And, you know, I, I feel like this is the third book I've said that about. The other two, I, I did not have a problem finishing this one a little bit, but I just loved the premise. I mean, mm. who doesn't enjoy a good revenge fantasy, you know, <laughs> especially when it uh, centers around three postmenopausal women? Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So one of them hears voices of the dead. I mean, she li- uh-huh. they literally call out to her. Um, uh-huh. Another woman is morphing into a witch, uh-huh. uh, essentially. And then Joe, who was my favorite, uh, she's the owner of an all-female gym. Uh-huh. And her hot flashes can actually be channeled yes. into a fiery strength. And when we're talking about fiery strength, we're using the word fiery as in fire. um, And I mean, it's, it's in many ways, like you say, it's sort of, you know, it's another one of these, okay, who thought of that? Mm -hmm. And, but I really felt that Miller worked with it in the beginning to it's, it's, you know, it's a fantasy. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us who have uh, maybe people our age who have already gone through menopause, I'm including Mm -hmm. mainly people in my age group Mm -hmm. who were, you know, it's hard to explain how we were treated by men, even when we got to points where we were doing very well in in our um, work life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe we were pretty far up the chain, but there was still the ceiling that Mm -hmm. wasn't talked about. And if you brought it up, oh, Ellison, you know, Mm. oh, goodness, honey, you know, Mm -hmm. this sort of thing. So I have, I think that that was what was driving some of my enjoyment of it, because Mm. it's got a it's got a double plot. Um, one is that somebody is murdering young, poor teenage girls in the mm-hmm. area. And mm-hmm. the area also uh, is it's sort of the, the, there's a enclave, a very wealthy enclave of houses. I mean, extremely as in, mm-hmm. it's not just that they have a, a front gate that you have to get through. There are armed guards at the front gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Miller is essentially, you know, dovetailing these two plots. And if, for the most part, she she does a decent job with that. 
But yeah. I just think it was for me, it was a lot of times I just want what I call literary chewing gum or you know, <laughs> close to literary chewing gum, something that's, you know, got a bit more bite to it um, than just sort of a fluff novel. And um, for me, this one did that. Mm, I love that literary chewing gum um, <laughs> that, yeah, it just, um, it felt a bit heavy handed to me and I can um, see that. yeah. And although I really do applaud the ingenuity of weaving menopause into a book as a symbol in a contemporary novel, like I, I, I did find that very clever. And I was thinking that the women who are in our talking perimenopause um, program in our train, like a mother club might find it particularly interesting. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's intriguing. It was, um, you know, they, they do say it's, you know, kind of part witches of Eastwick. And yes. Versus what was the other one they compared it to versus oh, big, something. little, big, little lives. Why? Right. Yeah. 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 So, mm, which is a V-Swick not. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't doing it for me. So I, I put that one away. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what others think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you would like the foundling, this next mm-hmm. one by Anne uh-huh. Leary, but I can't uh-huh. remember Have you read any of her stuff before. I have not. No. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Uh, she's got, I think it's, at least two other novels under her belt. Uh, and yes, she is the wife of Dennis Leary. Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but she's, um, she's got her own literary chops. I mean, she's, uh, she's her own gal. And this book, uh, I think a, a lot of people who love historical fiction will enjoy it. It's inspired hmm. by um, something that Leary pulled from her grandmother's past that takes place in the late 1920s. And, uh, it's a story of, it, well, it takes place in rural PEA and at the Nettleton State Village for feeble-minded women of childbearing age. Oh boy! And if that sounds like a mouthful, she uh, does talk about how there were actually it was this was not an actual place, but there were other institutes like this uh, mm-hmm. with similar names. And essentially, eighteen-year-old uh, Mary Engel. Uh, is a young woman who came from um, a poor background, but she's worked her way uh, up to become an assistant to the head of the institution, a woman mm-hmm. named Dr. Agnes Vogel, who mm-hmm. is very well respected and uh, Mary holds her in great esteem. And essentially the institute is for women who supposedly are, they keep talking about their feeble-minded uh, they use the word morons. They mm. use a lot of other, uh, you know, um, simple uh, sort of these things, supposedly women uh, who should not be out there bearing children. But the way they present it, the Institute presents it as these poor women, you know, could be taken advantage of, mm. um, you know, they, they will get into trouble. They'll get in with the wrong people. Mm. But what you come to find out is it's really a question of eugenics where they do not want uh, some of these poor women to Mm -hmm. be having children. And, you know, while the flappers, rich flapper girls were out there, you know, having a good time and drinking booze and everything. um, (laughs) If it was a poor woman that was doing this, possibly Mm. caught doing this in a, you know, a a saloon or something. uh, And let's say that her family just thought she was a nuisance and, you know, she wasn't oh acting the way a young woman should, mm-hmm. they would get her sent to the Institute or even husbands, oh, husbands yeah. who were finding oh, yeah. that they mm-hmm. had wives that talked back, 
that, uh, you know, didn't do what they wanted them to do. Um, you know, they were sent there. So mm-hmm. it essentially revolves around Mary's uh, coming to understand, you know, she's very much on board with what they're doing, but then she actually recognizes someone among these women. Oh. Uh, and so the plot goes on from there. Mm. Um, I just had a hard time with the main character, Mary. Um, I really kind of couldn't get on board with her. There were things about her that I, that didn't gel for me. Mm -hmm. And also if I have to confess, I am not a fan of the jazz age period. It's just not. Yep. I know. I don't know why, because (laughs) I'm very much, you know, uh, early 1900s that I don't know what it is about that period, but <laughs> I have a hard time with it. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, can, well then I'm <laughs> name the decade that you don't dig. And mine is the 1970s. I find oh. <laughs> the 1970s. So depressing. <laughs> the music of the seventies, the fashion just, Oh gosh. You oh. Find it. oh my goodness. The music of the seventies is, is fantastic compared to the eighties. Oh, I live on oh, my new age music is my jam. Oh, live for it. Live for it. I just find, oh my gosh, my best friend Chocolate and I, we sometimes just lay on the, when she comes to visit, we'll lay on the bed and just do up a list of the most depressing 1970s song. I mean, come on. I've been through the desert on a horse with no name. Just poke me in the eye with a oh, sharp on. stick. be Stills, Nash and Young. Oh my God. The Moody Blues. Oh, one of the founders of Moody Blues lived in my hometown of oh. Stanford, Connecticut. And he had, oh no, Blue Oyster Cult. That's who lived there. And he oh, had a blue okay. um, flame uh, eternally going in his yard. Oh how about God. that? Yeah. Okay. How about that? Well, that's yeah. a bit much, but I mean, Elton John. Uh, uh, oh, see, so yeah, you can't, you, Elton John's certainly not depressing, but oh my God, I don't know. Oh my gosh. Like we did karaoke for um, Father's Day in the evening with the kids. And uh, a friend of mine, Kate from San Francisco is in town and <laughs> I don't know what made us do it, but I put Billy, don't be a hero on there. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, that's, okay. <laughs> I mean, it All has right. a great, I mean, okay. it has a great chorus, but it turns out I never knew this as a child. It's about, you know, this man who goes off to the Vietnam war and, you know, yeah, the fiance right. says, please don't, you know, don't, don't be, be a hero. hero and, you know, make me your wife and said, and Oh, of course, you know, they run into some bad, the, the platoon runs into a bad situation and the, the, you know, Colonel's looking or whoever's looking for a volunteer and Billy's like me, Billy. I'll do it. I'll storm the hill. And of course, <laughs> Billy doesn't come home. And we're like, this is so depressing. The kids are like, why did you sing that song? Mom? <laughs> <laughs> It was the seventies, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we we won't be doing a podcast yeah. on music anytime. Yes. So. Yes. yes well, that leads us. My thought of nineteen seventies music leads us right into the final category, which is disappointing. Yes. So, um, so take it away, Allison. You got three books that you found disappointing. Oh boy, I'll tell you. The, um, the first one is the Candy House by Jennifer Egan, mm-hmm. and I loved a visit from the Goon Squad. I uh-huh. thought it was great. I, I really um, just was fascinated by how she put it together. And this one is not what you would call a sequel to it, but it brings back some of the same characters. Oh. And um, one of the things that it deals with, which is part that I found fascinating, is um, 
something called uh, Own Your Unconscious. Mm. And it's this new technology and it allows you to access every memory you've ever had. Mm. I mean, you just, you have immediate access to it and then you can share it in exchange for access to the memories of other people. Oh. And um, for the most part, you know, the whole world is is completely on board, seduced by it. But uh, there are people that, for obvious reasons, don't want that. And so mm-hmm. essentially what they have to do is one of two things, try to get off the grid completely, which is a very, very hard as anybody who's ever tried to you know, yes. get off the Internet. Knows. Uh-huh. And uh, but what some of them resort to doing is uh, uh, get uh, essentially hiring somebody to fake be them oh. and, you know, to, to make every once in a while, put something up on social media, you know, or create some memory. Um, and that part I found fascinating, but then there is a second part in, in, you know, Egan sort of drifts off from that. There's a second part that uh, takes a character from, a visit from the goon squad and essentially turns her into a spy. And I'm, I'm being, um, I think people that have read it may be yelling at me. You're being too simplistic, but <laughs> Hey, I learned my lesson from sea of tranquility. So, um, <laughs> and in that part of the book, I just, I just lost patience. And, uh-huh. um, she Egan does, uh, sort of do some different things with the way she writes and, oh. um, my husband, I should say, loved this book. Oh, wow. And he, all the parts that I liked, he sort of went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when I got to the part that I didn't like, oh, I loved that. Wow. So uh, we don't always see eye to eye on mm-hmm. books, uh, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, we do tend, because I usually am the one that feeds his book habit, but, um, <laughs> and this one, no. Oh, huh. Huh. All right. Okay. A, di- a, di- a house divided. Yes. 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 Um, yes. All right. Well, it turns out that I, I forgot. I have a disappointing book yeah. on on here. Yeah. So it's um one day I shall astonish the world by Nina Stibb or Stibby. Not sure which mm-hmm. it is. Um. So I had hoped it would be kind of like I think I love you by Mother Runner, Alison Pearson, the British novelist, um, which right. I just adored, but it was not. I couldn't make it past about 50 pages. And it's about these two women friends who strike up um, a friendship, kind of an unlikely friendship. And I don't remember much more than that. <laughs> um, and I, I really, it just... I don't know, it just didn't ever seem like it was going anywhere. I didn't feel captivated by the characters. And I mean, it just, I would close the book and I'd be like, oh yeah, what's that book about again? Like, mm. so it just, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, life's too yeah. short. I definitely yes, feel exactly. life's too short to read not good books. That's exactly yeah. right. I'm in agreement with you. Yes. I, I mean, hats off to people that say, oh no, I've got to get to the end. My oh, mother yeah. was one of those and my daughter's one, but I can't do it. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. It's also why I probably don't make the best member of my book group, because I'm like, yep, nope, gave up after you have 30 pages, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, well, I did with this next one, I did push, push through. It's the okay. new one from Emma Stroud, which has been receiving just great reviews oh. uh, called This Time Tomorrow. And usually I like her books. I think out of the, let's see, I think this is the fifth or sixth one she's written. Mm-hmm. And I have 
really enjoyed most of them. But this one, which deals with a woman who uh, at the end of her 40th birthday celebration, where she got super, super sloshed, (laughs) she uh, wakes up and she's back in her uh, childhood bedroom and she's 16. She's waking up on her 16th birthday. And uh, she was raised by a single father and he's there uh, in much better shape um, because in the present time, he is very ill in the hospital and very sick. (laughs) And so she comes to realize that there are things that she can change if she wants to. Um, Back in the present, she's in this what she considers possibly sort of a dead end job, although she enjoys it, but she's a um, admissions officer at the same uh, elite high school that she, or well, actually it's a uh, K through 12 school that she went to. Mm-hmm. Um, she's unmarried. Um, and so she is kind of suddenly realizes the knowledge that, oh, well, you know, I might actually be able to change some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, sounds like a great premise. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know me in coming of age stories. I think there was a little bit too much of that for me going on. Um, But Carol read it, my daughter, and she's much closer to that and, you know, doesn't doesn't mind coming of age stories. And she thought the same way. She said the same thing that I did. She said not one of her best. Oh, huh. Huh. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So but there was one, though, that you said was good beach reading and much better than Emma Straub's. Yes, yes. And that book is called The Wise Women. Mm -hmm. And it's a novel by a woman named Gina Sorrell. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think her last name is Mm S-O-R-E-L-L. And this one, I really think if you're a fan of like um, Meg Wolitzer, uh uh, I'm trying to think of some of sort of what I call the New York novelists that are uh, Eleanor Lipman. Uh, I think you'd like this. It deals with uh, a woman, Wendy Wise, mm-hmm. who uh, has been an, a very, very popular advice columnist for, oh. for many, many years. Uh, but things are, are going a little off kilter in, in that area of her life. Uh, she's also always been in her adult daughter's lives, always. Oh. And her older daughter, Barb has always resented that. And um, her younger daughter, Clementine, Mm -hmm. uh, has has always sort of revered her mother. But Clementine, who's the working mother of a six-year-old boy, she's just discovered that uh, she thought she and her husband were, you know, buying this, you know, writing mortgage checks for this um, house in Queens, where she finds out that her husband is secretly funneled that those mortgage payments mm-hmm. into a failed startup. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's a flailing startup, I guess mm-hmm. they say. So mm-hmm. uh, that happens at the beginning of the book. She turns to her older brother, Barb, who's always been the real steady one. In fact, Barb gave uh, them some money to, to buy this home. Oh boy. Uh, but in the meantime, Barb has overextended herself and she owns an architectural firm. Plus she's reunited, uh, not exactly happily with her cheating girlfriend. Mm. So Clementine's like, you know, we got to let mom know Barb's like, no, no, that's the last thing we want to do. Their mother Mm -hmm. is, is now down in Florida living with what they think is her third husband. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, what happens is mom gets wind of it, comes up, 
and we're off to the races. Mm. It's, um, it's definitely good beach reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the characters. I liked the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some snappiness. I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it as much as lessons in chemistry, mm-hmm. but I uh, definitely enjoyed it more than this time tomorrow. Mm, all right. Okay. Good to end on a beach read, I think. Yes. 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 Well, very Ooh. fun. Very. I know. Woo. Talk about <laughs> off to the races. We were off to the races yeah. and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go turn on some seventies music and laugh. <laughs> it's good. We're 3000 miles away from each other right now. <laughs> yes, it is. Still love you, hon. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Always and deeply and madly, Allison. So, all right. Well, um, so, hey, folks, time to talk about retreats. We got three of them queued up for 2023. So excited about them. For once, we release them all at the same time, open the registration for them all at the same time. So you can compare, contrast. You can even get a discount if you go to two of them, go to three of them, go to, you know, whatever. So we are going to, let me see if I can get this right, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, very late April of next year. That is focused on the fabulous Eau Claire Marathon, Half Marathon, and Half Marathon Relay. Um, it's about 90 minutes away from uh, the Twin Cities, so an easy drive for a lot of Midwesterners. Uh, then we are going to what I'm very excited about in Redmond, Oregon, Central Oregon, and our hope is to take over an entire hotel. It's going to be like the Mother Runner crib or a sorority or something. I just imagine curlers in our hair and running around in little shorty pajamas uh, with our doors all open. Um <laughs> It's a very Listening to 70s music. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, going to be super fun. It is a very um, chic mod hotel, but with a, a big heart. And um, there's not going to be any race, but it is right near Smith Rock, which is the most stunningly beautiful state park. And we're going to do maybe we're talking about doing a um, evening canoe trip. And it's just the, oh my gosh, it's in the high desert of Oregon. And as you know, Alice, in that part of the country is very beautiful and very, yeah, stunningly and uniquely beautiful. Um, And then the other one, we are returning to your fair state, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. For a third time because we love it there so much but this time we're moving it to uh early november which we are told will have even better weather than february which is when we've been going the past two times and we will have a half marathon as the cornerstone of that event and our hotel is right on the beach so you definitely want to be a part of these four day three night um retreats they are just super fun and just amazing and you can get out of the house and leave it all behind and go make tons of new um BRFs, new best running friends with all the um, women who are at these retreats. So register by July 15th to save money. And you can find all the details and uh, click on it to register by going to anothermotherrunner.com. Click on the events tab on the top and there's a 2023 drop down. So again, go to anothermotherrunner.com events and then 2023 retreats. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles to you. 